Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, directed, in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J. Rose Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my fellow Earthlings? Greetings. How are you? What's going on? How's your week going? Everything good, I hope. As we get ready to close out the month of May, which I'm sure for a lot of people are like, oof, thank goodness, but with the way this year's gone and June right around the corner, who knows what lies ahead? But let's think positive, people. Let's take a deep breath. Let's hope that better days lie ahead considering everything that's going on in this country, not only just from the coronavirus standpoint, but the police brutality, and it's just been a brutal month and a brutal year. But hey, let's make sure that we could open our minds, open our eyes, and look to the good and the positive things that's going on not only first and foremost with yourself and more importantly, but the people around you, family, friends, etc., and try not to just get bogged down with all the negativity that's out there. So needed to put that out there first and now we can get that out of the way because I'm sure everybody's wondering, what do you want to talk about today, J Reels? Well, I have a very special guest here for this episode 133 as I talk about everything that's going on in the world of sports. You're listening to the J Reels podcast. This is your host, J Reels. Thank you for my first timers who are listening and downloading this content for the very first time. And also for those who have been with me for now, 133 episodes, I welcome them back. It is a Thursday, May the 28th, on this very special podcast in the year of our Lord 2020. What I have on tap for you today is the play-by-play broadcaster of the Anaheim Angels, as I always call them, but they are the Los Angeles Angel of Anaheim. And that would be a one Victor Rojas. He will share his thoughts as far as growing up in a baseball family. For those who may or may not know, his father was Cookie Rojas, who played as a second baseman back in the 70s, most notably for the Kansas City Royals, also became a bench coach and has still been a part of baseball now. I believe he's a color commentator for the Miami Marlins right now, but Met fans will be familiar with him because he was the third base coach on the 99 and 2000 playoff teams and, of course, the World Series team of the year 2000. So we'll get a little idea of what it was like growing up in a baseball household, Also, will span his career, which is almost two decades, but for the last 10 years, he's been the Angels play-by-play guy. And then, even more importantly, will there be baseball in 2020? That's the $64,000 question that's taking place right now. I recorded this conversation with him last Thursday, so it's already been a week. Quite a few things have changed since then as far as what is going to happen between the players and owners. At the back end of this podcast, you're going to get my two cents on this because I forecasted this weeks ago. I called this baseball's dangerous game. Last week, it was baseball's fatal game. And then now, it's looking as if 2020 may not even come to pass when it comes down between the players and owners coming to some sort of agreement. And not only do I have my two cents, but I also have not only a plan, but a way to get out of this. And it's actually rather simple. Now, people are going to laugh. <laughs> Jay Reels, what do you know about business? What do you know about baseball? To me, if players want to get paid, And there is a reason, maybe not for this year, and maybe not even for next year, because it all depends on fans, but you would think that they will come up with some plan over the next few years, and I have the thought that certainly could be the cure of all ills. So you want to stay tuned for that. It'll be on the back end of this podcast as I close out the show. Without further ado, everybody, here's my conversation with the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim play-by-play broadcaster, Victor Rojas. Enjoy, and I'll see you on the other side. All right, on the line, I have Victor Rojas, broadcaster from the LA Angels, who spends a few minutes with us talking about baseball, his career, etc. How have you been doing during this pandemic, considering that uh, here in New York, we're still not out of the woods yet, but in your neck of the woods, uh, has there been any type of normalcy? Uh, what have you been doing to keep yourself sane, active, and healthy throughout this process? Well, Jace, thanks for having me. And, uh, you know, normalcy, I think it's, uh, I think that's an individual definition for everybody. And yeah. 
parts of the country and different parts of the world. So we, you know, we're based in, uh, we live in North Texas in the Dallas Fort Worth area. And, and it's a little bit, uh, a lot more relaxed, I should say, than I would imagine it is in New York. Mm-hmm. I know that, uh, you know, having worked in California the last 10 years, uh, I've got a lot of friends in Orange County that it seems like it's starting to open up a little bit more so out there. Uh, but they've been kind of, a uh, slow to to do that as well but uh, everyone's well here i mean fortunately you know knock on wood uh it hasn't uh, afflicted anyone in, in our families uh, my wife or mine and uh you know that's that's uh, we're thankful for that but it's uh you know it's one of those things that um you just kind of every day something new comes up or uh, you know a, a new uh whether it's from a from a political side of things, from it's uh, the virus side of things, from a vaccine, there's just so much information and misinformation out there. You don't know what uh, what's true, what's not true. So it's difficult sometimes weeding all that out. Yeah, it certainly is a tough time, and uh, obviously that's a lot to unpack uh, just uh, unto itself. So, but uh, so we'll segue from that. And uh, before I get to your career, have you heard anything about uh, baseball coming back? Anything? Coming down the pike, I mean, obviously last week the owners set out that proposal to the players, and we haven't heard anything since pretty much, although Blake Snell made some comments and followed that up by Bryce Harper, Clayton Kershaw, et cetera. But do you think that uh, we're getting close here, or is it uh, something that uh, you may have heard in the last couple of days that uh, we're still a ways away? Well, I don't know that an official proposal has been made. I know a lot of stuff has been floated out there from uh, from media leaks uh, that's coming from whether from Major League Baseball or from people at, at certain Major League teams. Um, but I know that they had uh, had a virtual meeting last week, and uh, they being Major League Baseball and the Players Association. Mm-hmm. Uh, but nothing formal has been introduced as of yet, other than you know some ideas that have been floated out there. So. Yeah, it's, and same goes with the health protocols that came out, you know, or leaked out a couple of days ago, like a 67-page manual right. as to everything that needs to be uh, taken care of in order for baseball to happen. Um, but I still think that, uh, you know, I think we're, we're a ways away from it. I think the health protocols are important and probably more important to a lot of these individuals. And I mean that from a player's perspective, because they're the ones taking the, all of the risk mm-hmm. um, than, the, than the financial side. I think the financial side, more than more than likely will work its way out unless um, either side decides to really get entrenched in this. And then there's a really good possibility. You don't see baseball uh, in 2020, but uh, look, I'm optimistic um, without baseball. Uh, I'm not receiving any, any checks. So yeah. uh, if anybody wants baseball to come back, uh, you know, it's, it's guys like myself that are freelancers that are um, need to work in order to get paid. And so we're, we're all, uh, obviously optimistic about it and we want it to happen. Um, but all things considered, uh, if you look at that manual that they put out, uh, the 67 pages and all the things and protocols that they want to institute, I don't, that's basically living in a bubble. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, that, that was kind of the, one of those, uh, those trial balloons that got thrown out about two months ago, about having the 15 teams in Arizona, 15 teams in Florida, and everyone's living basically in a cocoon. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the players weren't happy about that. So I, I can't imagine they're going to be overly thrilled about reading through 67 pages, especially, uh, you know, things like not being able to shower at the ballpark. Uh, <laughs> right. I, just, uh, I can't imagine. I was, as a matter of fact, I was doing a podcast yesterday, mm. and I was envisioning what it would be like for a team on a getaway day having to go from the ballpark to a bus to an airplane to fly to the next city. I mean, without, without showering, that just doesn't, I, I don't know how that makes any sense whatsoever. Um, so I think there's a, there's a lot of play and a lot of wiggle room. Um, hopefully it gets done soon. And considering that you mentioned that the, you're looking forward to baseball of any sort, considering that uh, obviously being out of work and not knowing when that time will come. But uh, with this, uh, I guess this, quote-unquote proposal. I know they talked about maybe 82 games somewhere starting uh, early July, if not 4th of July. Do you feel, as a fan, not only just, of course, being a broadcaster, but as a fan as well, do you feel that an 82-game season and a postseason with extra teams being involved, DH in the National League, do you think it will legitimize this year? I mean, obviously, a lot of people talk about an asterisk maybe being put next to it considering the circumstances, but do you feel that even 82 games – is it legitimize you as a fan watching the sport for so many years that eh, this season doesn't have the same feel as, of course, seasons past where we have the general 162 game season? 
Yeah, I don't, I don't think anything that you do this year is going to ever, you know, mimic what a regular season looks like under normal circumstances. So, <clears throat> you know, extraordinary circumstances call for extraordinary measures. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes you've got to kind of just play with the, you know, the hand that you're dealt. The, you know, the proposal is for Major League Baseball anyways, 80 to 82 games. It seems like the players feel like they could play anywhere between 100 and 120 games if you start adding double headers. And mm. to me, if the players are the ones that are willing to do that, I don't know why uh, ownership may not. But I think the idea that ownership doesn't want to do it is because they, that means that, remember, everything that players are getting, if assuming everything moves forward, would be a prorated salary mm-hmm. based on games played. So the more games played means more salary uh, being spent on on everybody's team. So I see where the owners are going with that, and I understand where the players are coming from, and I think that's where the the divide comes. But look, whatever happens, happens, and if it's 80 games or 100 games, that's just going to be it in 2020. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not overly fond of you know adding four teams uh, to the postseason. I think it just waters it down. Um, but again, I think uh, at the end of the uh, end of the day. It's it's the networks that kind of run the show from from that perspective because the the bulk of the revenue comes from playoff TV money, and if the networks want to have another round to, to sell more advertising to recoup their investments, uh, then that's probably what you're going to get. Um, you know, now the thing is, is that with in baseball, different from the other sports, is that everything has to be collectively bargained and the mm-hmm. players have to agree to it. So. Um, that's why you, you get the back and forth and you don't hear much from the other uh, professional sports because it, it's a little bit smoother sailing. Um, I, I've, I've been of the opinion that because you are playing with a shortened season, uh, if you're ever going to try things uh, just like the universal DH or any of these other rules uh, that, that, that have been talked about perhaps for the future, uh, this would be the year to try it out uh, since you've got the collective bargaining agreement coming to an end next year that you might as well try things out now in a shortened season under these circumstances so that you see what works and what didn't work. And then you, you don't waste time negotiating for something that is never going to fly uh, one way or the other when you start negotiating next year. No, I totally agree with you on that. So now as far as the players are concerned, uh, do you think considering that they already had started their uh, spring training and of course had it aborted due to the uh, coronavirus pandemic. Uh, how long do you think it will take for them to get started? Uh, now, I don't know what they have in mind as far as will it take two weeks? Will it take four weeks? Uh, hopefully if everything goes smooth sailing that if they were to start reporting into, let's say Arizona or Florida, since they have uh, opened up the facilities there at that time. Uh, my thing is that because they had to stop and then start again, especially with the pitching, with your starting pitchers, uh, how long do you think being around these guys, how long do you think it will take for them to uh, get themselves reacclimated to their programming, get ready to start the season, let's say in July? Well, I'd imagine most of the guys are doing some sort of throwing program, uh, whether it's a long toss or otherwise, as far as getting on the bump and, 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 you know, letting it fly. I think it'll be a little bit, I, I think three weeks is the number that I keep hearing and reading about mm-hmm. as far as spring training is concerned. Uh, hitters don't take uh, a whole lot. Um, to get going you know you're not you're not dealing with the cold weather months everybody's in the summertime now and then the heat everywhere so I I think it becomes a little bit easier Um, the question becomes you know have these guys stayed in shape Um, but I I think because the the leaks that have come out players have if they haven't already uh, are starting to crank it back up in hopes that maybe they get back at it at some point in June uh, in some sort of a limited fashion. I can't imagine they can be able to fully work out. Right. And then the other thing that kind of comes into play is that, <clears throat> you know, it's not just a 25-man roster. For the most part, the major league or the minor league season is going to be washed out. So uh, you're going to have whatever these taxi squads are and whatever that number ends up being, whether it's, uh, you know, a 50-person uh, taxi squad or a 40-person taxi squad, uh, you're going to need all of those bodies uh, to get in shape, especially from the pitching side. Because even at three weeks, I can't imagine that you're going to get too many starting pitchers that are going to be working six, seven, eight innings just from the get-go. It's right. going to take a while to ramp up, as it normally does in you know in early April, late March, early April, uh, with most arms. So uh, it just means more guys have to be ready to go. So that it, it'll be see, it'll be interesting how that all plays out. It'll also be interesting how the with the social distancing. Um, uh, at the facilities, how they're able to do the workouts and how, 
how many individuals can be in a workout at one time and, and so on and so forth. Um, it's going to make for some long days for the coaching staff, I'd imagine. Uh, if you've got to break it up into four or five groups, especially when you're dealing with uh, that many people and bullpens and stuff like that. But uh, those are all things that, uh, you know, are being worked out, I'd imagine. And uh, we'll just see how it all plays out. Yes, I hope uh, from your lips to God's ears, Victor, because uh, with <laughs> and baseball is one sport that can use social distancing to a certain extent. I understand not throughout the whole course of the field, whether it's, a, you know, the person that uh, player at the plate with the catcher and the umpire there. And then let's say with the player at first base, with the first baseman and the first base coach. I understand there's certain scenarios where it may be difficult. And then now they hear all this stuff about them wanting to change the ball after every play. And if more than one player touches it, it's, I tell you, just like you mentioned about that 67 page memo, I, I can only imagine probably reading after the second page, you just want to, you know, scratch your eyes out because there's just so much that's involved just to make sure that not only you just get a season started, but just to have everybody in the building at the same time. I tell you, it's just the uh, trickiest yeah. can be. No, I mean, you know, I mean, you could break it down even more so, right? I mean, the ridiculousness of some of the things that uh, are in in that 67-page manual. Uh, you're talking about uh, in the bullpen, a pitcher will get his own personal set of baseballs. Well, I mean, you're throwing to a catcher. Yeah. Uh, so what are you going to just – so if a pitcher throws 35 pitches in a bullpen, you're going to give him 35 baseballs, the catcher can't return it, and you can't use those balls anymore. I mean, just – Right. Just stuff like that in a game, uh, a hitter swings, he's sweating, yep. uh, you know, through the course of a, a swing, I'm sure there's going to be particles flying off the body. Mm -hmm. Um, that's why I never understood the whole showering thing. You can't shower at the facility, but yeah, go ahead and cram into a bus with all the sweat. <laughs> and all. I mean, I, I just, right. it, it doesn't make any sense to me. No. Um, a lot of it is overboard. Uh, I think uh, in my personal opinion. And so, um, but I'm not the one that, uh, I'm not the one charged with the, you know, getting all this stuff together and getting uh, baseball to be played. No, absolutely. All right, now, before we get to your career, uh, quickly, obviously you come from a baseball family. Uh, I would love to, for you to share your story of what was it like growing up with your dad, uh, of course, being influenced by him, the game, et cetera, uh, what that must have been like to have a household with a father, of course, Cookie Rojas, to be able to uh, pretty much follow his footsteps and uh, what was it like to be influenced not only by him but also how the game of baseball has been a, just a tremendous part of your life. Yeah, it was pretty cool. You know, I didn't, you know, I, I was kind of young when, uh, when he ended up retiring from the playing side of things in 77, I was in the fifth grade. Um, I remember, uh, you know, going to the ballpark quite a bit during the summer times in Kansas city and, uh, and getting a chance to hang out there. But, uh, you know, my really, my connection with the, with my dad in the game started kind of after that, he, you know, he went to coach with the Cubs and then he became a, a front office and an advanced scout with the angels in, in 1982. And he was there for 10 years and so it was, uh, it was always nice being able to uh, kind of follow in his footsteps, if you will, as far as being in the game, getting a chance to play minor league ball and then, and then transitioning to the front office side before, you know, at 33, deciding that I wanted to try this broadcasting thing. So um, he's always been a guy that uh, I've been able to lean on and, and ask questions of, uh, especially as it relates to the business side and uh, coming up with, you know, making the decisions that uh, we've had to make in our lives uh, as far as career and, and the like. And, um, you know, having someone like that, uh, be around and be well respected within the game has been, uh, you know, it's been pretty cool. Uh, it's mm. opened some doors, uh, right. but like anything else, uh, you can have doors open, but uh, it's what you do once you walk through those doors is what counts. Cause that's what you're going to be judged on. Absolutely. Um, and so I've, I, I think I've, I've maybe put a little undue pressure on myself because I, I think, uh, I've always wanted to, uh, succeed so that it doesn't, you know, look bad or reflect poorly on, on my dad. So that's always kind of in the back of my head, mm. uh, kind of cognizant of that, but, uh, you know, it was, it was great. I mean, uh, to me, it's, um, it, it's not so much that he was a, a major league player. It's just, it's more about what my takeaway has always been that, you know, five ten. Uh, you know, a little second baseman, not a whole lot of power. Mm -hmm. You know, came from a different country, didn't speak the language, uh, and this was in the '60s and early '60s, mm -hmm. and and being able to carve out a 16-year big league career um, that just didn't happen too often. You know what I mean? It just right. didn't, you know, making five All-Star teams. Um, you know, you you look at his numbers, you're like, you know, they're they're kind of unimpressive, but it's what he did. 
uh, in his time in the big leagues that stood out and what kept him in the big leagues is that he was willing to do whatever it took. I mean, he was an ultimate team player. Uh, he played wherever they put him, never never complained. You know, everyone talks about the Ben Zobers and the Mark DeRosas of the world. Mm-hmm. You know, my old man was doing that in the 60s, and that's how he survived 16 years in the big leagues. So right. um, that, that, that's what I take away um, from my dad is his, his tenacity and, and, and drive to, to succeed um, with all the, uh, the obstacles in his way. No, that's uh, tremendous. And, uh, and mentioned before, as far as broadcasting, something that you wanted to try. And my first thing was, is that, was that uh, the path that you wanted to pursue considering that, and this is now two decades that you've been broadcasting, uh, or was it something that maybe somebody got in your ear to say, Hey, you should try out broadcasting. It pretty much seems as if you, had designed to say, I want to get into this field, and here you are two decades later. If you kind of take us through your journey on what it was like to not only get started and, of course, to get where you are 10 years as the play-by-play guy for the uh, Los Angeles Angels. Yeah, I, I, it wasn't the path that I had always desired. I wanted to play mm-hmm. uh, baseball and then try to get to the big leagues, and there's no doubt it, it never happened. And uh, you know, I did get a chance to spend one year in the big leagues as a bullpen catcher for the Marlins during their inaugural season in 93 um, that was awesome Uh, went back to the minor leagues and I coached uh, for one more year and it was pretty much done at that point Um, but uh, again it was like uh, at 32 33 years of age uh, kind of a a midlife crisis but just kind of uh, you know kind of the unknown of like all right I've done a lot of these things and I'm not I feel like I'm spinning my wheels um, I'm not fulfilled. Uh, I'm not one of those individuals that's ever been uh, just content on uh, you know the Monday through Friday collecting a check with no aspirations. And, mm. um, and and it was at that time when you know you know my dad for years had been telling me you know you should you've got a pretty good voice you know the game of baseball you know you should go to the ballpark and record some interviews maybe you could sell them to a radio station and he's always been doing that and mm. you know I just never saw it right I never saw the light at the end of the tunnel how you can make money doing that. And uh, I just think that uh, I got to a point where I'm like, all right, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to, I'm going to try my hand at broadcasting. And so I, I in, uh, in 2001, I was calling around and I was fortunate that I had a friend of mine that worked for the Newark bears. And uh, I forwarded my resume uh, up there and Rick Cerrone, the former Yankee catcher owned mm-hmm. the team at the time, you know, he liked my background in, in, the sports world, uh, having worked in front offices and, uh, you know, he hired me as an assistant general manager to put the team together since it was independent ball and, uh, gave me the opportunity to do the, uh, the color, uh, on the, on the radio broadcast through the uh, Seton hall radio station. Wow. And so my wife and I went up to Newark and that's kind of the beginning of my, my broadcasting career. I spent uh, two years there with the bears. Uh, the second year I kind of dialed back my front office stuff cause I was, getting involved with MLB.com and I was doing a radio show and I really wanted to focus on the broadcast side as opposed to the front office side of things. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was, uh, the beginning of 2003 when the Arizona Diamondbacks asked to, to interview me and the rest has been, you know, kind of a whirlwind. I went from Diamondbacks for a year, the Rangers for five years, um, MLB network plucked me away. And I, I went there when they launched the network on January 1st of 2009. And then, you know, mere 11, no, 12, 13 months later, uh, the Angels had an opening uh, in their booth with the untimely passing of Rory Marcus. Mm-hmm. And I got a call from the Angels asking if I'd be interested in talking to them about their their position. And uh, here I am 10 seasons later. This would have been my 11th or will be hopefully at some point. And, uh, it's been uh, it's been a crazy run. You know, it really yeah. has. It's uh, it's a thrill. It's uh, I get paid to talk about the game of baseball that I grew up uh, you know watching and and rooting for and so it's it's been unique um but i'm always like i said uh you know sometimes you get to a point where you want to be fulfilled in in other ways and, and trying other challenges so that's kind of what we're doing we've started an apparel company last year and mm. you know just for my family and for my kids to kind of learn the uh, the entrepreneurial spirit and what it takes to start something and see it through to fruition and, and kind of you know teaching life's lessons now that i've I'm in my fifties, you know, priorities kind of change and, um, you just look for the next challenge. Awesome. And what is that apparel company? If, uh, people could go look for it on a website or if you, uh, have any type of information that you could share, that'd be uh, great. Yeah, no, it's called bigflygear.com. Big fly is my home run call. And, uh, you know, we, we decided to do it in order to be unique and, and kind of be the, the differentiator for us is that, 
uh, we take a person, place, and or moment in baseball history revolving around the home run, and then we create a one-of-a-kind graphic mm. that tells the story so that, uh, you know, you kind of build community. You share the story with your friends. So you like the graphic, but it's also got a, a nice little story behind it that you can share, and you're also learning a little bit about baseball history. So um, it's kind of cool. Uh, we've got a Lou Gehrig tribute. We've got a Kirk Gibson tribute, uh, nice. a Hank Aaron, a Babe Ruth. It, it just in so on and so forth. The shot heard around the world, 1951, yeah. Ralph Franca, Bobby Thompson. So uh, it, it's been fun. Uh, like I said, we've been 15 months since we launched. Um, the The pandemic hasn't really helped things. So we yeah. have pretty good momentum going into spring training with our with our Mike, Mike Trout tribute shirt. And all of a sudden the pandemic kind of slowed things down. So for us, uh, it's twofold, you know, getting back into the booth and, and <laughs> earning some uh, earning an income and also uh, getting the economy back uh, at you know full bore, um, mm-hmm. get these unemployment numbers down and yeah. get people back to work and get the economy going so that from, as a small business owner that we can kind of you know get back to doing business. Oh, absolutely. Now, considering you've been covering the Angels for the last 10 years and they had a big offseason, as we know, highlighted by the signing of Anthony Rendon, of course, they tried to shore that uh, staff by trading for Dylan Bundy and also uh, signing Julio Tehran for a year. Uh, now, of course, we don't know when the season was going to begin, but if you were to forecast back uh, in early March, uh, was this a team that you feel that they were able to take take that next step to contend with the Astros, or do you feel like they're still a piece or two behind and trying to get to where the Astros have been at the top of the AL West over the last few years? Well, I mean, I think the division in general is, is going to be a difficult division. Uh, Oakland's a much better ball club. The, uh, the Rangers have certainly restaffed uh, their pitching staff. Mm-hmm. Um, Seattle, you never, never know because they're always uh, rebuilding and they're always making trades and the like. So um, as far as the Angels are concerned, it's just a matter of uh, the pitching side of things, to be perfectly honest with you. You know, they went out and tried to get Garrett Cole. He obviously signed with the Yankees, and then mm-hmm. the focus became, all right, let's get the next best available player. And, that was Anthony Rendon. So offensively, if everyone stays healthy and contributes at their normal uh, abilities, that uh, it's an offense that's going to put up plenty of numbers uh, and, and runs. Mm-hmm. There's no question about that. Yeah. Uh, the bullpen is pretty solid. They've got a lot of young power arms out there. Uh, Hansel Robles, a former uh, cast off of the New York Mets, mm-hmm. uh, kind of established himself as a closer. And then there's some young power arms out in the bullpen, as well as Ty Buttry and Justin Anderson. Cam Pedroja has been around for a couple of years now. So I think the bullpen is, is fine. But starting pitching has been the, um, the kind of the Achilles heel for this ball club, especially over the last five, six years, and more so about injury than anything else. So, uh, you know, Shohei Otani comes back. And, and I, you know, if anything, if you take a, a silver lining for the Angels from a, from a pitching side of things, silver lining of this pandemic is that Shohei Otani – who's coming back from Tommy John surgery mm-hmm. uh, has had a chance to kind of rehab even further uh, than, uh, you know, doing it in controlled environments as opposed to, you know, when you come back from TJ, uh, you're doing it at the major league level in games, but you're not really, you know, you're kind of building up arms. Right. He's been able to do that without it costing games or starts or bullpen arms because they're short starts and stuff like that. So, um, if he's able to regain what he was uh, during his rookie season, what we saw, the, the glimpses, uh, he's going to be a special player. Oh, yeah. uh, he already is a special player. Um, but that said, they need guys to step up. Andrew Heaney needs to take the next step. Griffin Canning's got to prove that he can uh, remain healthy. He's a young pitcher. Uh, Patrick Sandoval, another young pitcher. For him, it's about consistency. So there, there are parts there. And I think Mickey Calloway, the new pitching coach, is going to help play a huge role in that because, um, you know, while the uh, while the stint as a the Mets manager maybe didn't work out for him, he's a highly touted pitching coach. And mm-hmm. the job he did in Cleveland for so many years was obviously uh, an example of that. And so I, I think he'll be able to, to mesh with Joe Madden well and, and be able to bring the best out of those those arms. And it's interesting. I do have a question about the Mets, and you're probably going to say, what can I answer about the Mets considering that you cover the Angels? Well, I'll get to that in a second. But considering Mike Trout is a guy who is, of course, from this area, well, not too far. I'm in New York, but of course, he's from uh, Millville, New Jersey, South Jersey. And with the time difference, and of course, everybody knows who's a baseball fan, they know how great Mike Trout is. But for somebody who covers him day to day, does he continue to amaze you? Or you've become used to it by now? If you could kind of shed some light on what is it to not only cover, but the type of person Mike Trot is, I'd greatly appreciate it. Well, I mean, he is uh, hes an incredible 
talent. Uh, there's no doubt about that. He's just a, just a great guy to begin with, great upbringing. Uh, Debbie and Jeff, his parents, have uh, done a terrific job of bringing him up and kind of keeping that level-headedness about it. Jeff played in the minor league, so he kind of understands uh, the dynamic of professional baseball and and kind of uh, taught his son that way. And uh, so from a from a from that is standpoint, it's he's you know class A personality and individual and then you add on the fact that he's one of the best players to ever put on a baseball uniform uh it's, it's amazing i mean you you know that uh, even if the season's going poorly the trout's going to get four at four or five at bats and probably do something pretty spectacular out in the field or do something on the bases that you know you're just wowed uh by so you know the, the unique thing about mike is that he goes into spring training every year saying that he's going to improve on x and he actually improves on x and that's that's crazy to me that this far into his career now uh even though he's still young um he continues to improve and uh he he really wants to be able to find a way to maximize his abilities uh 24 7 and there's no there's no given that. And so that's why we're treated to such a, a special talent uh, day in and day out during the course of the season. So I, I don't think there's enough that I can ever say about him uh, as a player and as a person. Um, we're just fortunate enough we get to watch him on a daily basis. Now, you know what's interesting? To me, I'm my first love is baseball. And it, despite everything that's been going on recently, and who knows if this emotional tug of war is going to – hopefully it doesn't last longer than it should. But my point is, is that do you feel that Major League Baseball – does not highlight or endorse the guys like Mike Trout or Bryce Harper enough for the rest of the country to know that, of course, baseball isn't the NFL, but at the same time, it seems like they don't do their best to market their sport to their stars. And we get it that he's uh, in L.A. with the Dodgers pretty much right up the road. And, of course, with the whole East Coast, West Coast deal where a lot of the people in the East don't get to see or get a chance to see Mike Trout, um, do you feel one of the reasons why Major League Baseball isn't up on that level is because they don't market a guy like Mike Trout to the way they should, let's say, in the NFL like a Tom Brady or in the NBA like LeBron James? Uh, what is your thought on that? Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those guys that believes that Major League Baseball should do a better job of marketing its players. There's no doubt about that. Um, you know, baseball is such a regional thing um, that it's, sometimes it's difficult, but there's no reason why you can't market um, – you know, the greatest collection of talent that we've ever seen playing the game. I mean, you, you know, my dad played the game and there were some great players, but from, from a whole body of, of talent, it's difficult to come up with, you know, one era of baseball where you had this much talent throughout. And right. it's, it's just ridiculous. So, um, and they're all pretty good personalities. Um, the flip side to that is, is that they're not all as willing to kind of put themselves out there. There's some guys like Bryce that's willing to go out and say what he wants. and um, That's just how his personality is. Mm -hmm. And I think you've got to be willing to do that. So there's a trade-off. Uh, it's one thing to market guys that want to be marketed. And then there's there's guys that uh, are superstars that have no desire. You know, Mike's been on record saying that you know, he doesn't care about the limelight. He's not worried about, you know, the – the sponsorship dollars from New York or anything like that. that's a, just not his thing. That's mm -hmm. not what drives him. He's not motivated by it. You know, he's a family man. He's going to have a child in August, uh, his first. And that's, mm -hmm. that's more his focus uh, along with being the best player in the game. Um, I think he figures that uh, if he puts up the numbers and continues to rack up MVP awards, that that will take care of itself. And that's all he, that's all he cares about. So, so it's, it's kind of a, it's trying to find that balance. Uh, yeah. You know, I think the unique thing about this whole pandemic thing is that it took it took a pandemic, right, mm -hmm. for Major League Baseball to promote its players through Twitch and the, the yeah. gaming uh, industry. Right. You know what I mean? It just <laughs> it, and, and, and a lot of that was player driven. Yeah. And it's just not that difficult, uh, you know, for as much as we talk about, you know, these new innovations and new rules and this and that. Um, I think Major League Baseball at times is, uh, you know, just living in this box and they don't they don't get outside the box as far as trying to be creative with their personalities. They, they just continue to do the same thing year in, year out. And I think that's why people, for the most part, knock them for it. And right. uh, are and, and, and look, when you look at the demographics of baseball it's the same demographic that's been that way for years, right? So it's like, mm -hmm. why would they market differently? Well, if you're yeah. trying to grow the game, you have to market differently. You've got to market to a different demographic. 
Um, and I think that's just one of those things where you have to maybe get some fresh blood, mix it up a little bit, you know, ruffle some feathers. Sometimes if you ruffle feathers, yeah, you get, you piss off some people, but yeah. you're probably going to get the, the result that you ultimately want. Right. No, I totally agree with you there. And the thing is with who knows how this is going to unfold. And I would just only hope that the youth who are looking to, let's say, video games or or more connected to the NBA player or, of course, the NFL, as big as they are, that baseball just doesn't get left in the dust. And, and this is a sport, as well as boxing, has just such a tremendous amount of history. And we know how boxing, that's pretty much uh, gone out to sea. And I just hope baseball, I don't think it's going to get to the point where boxing in that regard, but it's in a sense where baseball is almost going to become that sport that kind of gets left in the dust when it comes to the four major sports is concerned that's just my opinion well, yeah no i and i agree i think i i think when you talk about the other sports is that is that they've 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 been able to seamlessly cross over uh and become multicultural and mm. they've been able to kind of whether it's it's uh you know films or music and basketball are synonymous films and music and football are kind of synonymous it seems like when you do it with baseball or try to do something like that with baseball, it seems forced. Hmm. Um, it doesn't seem natural or, or what, you know, the new buzzword in today's world, organic. Yeah. Right. And I think if you can, if you can find that balance somehow um, and look, I know, I know we live in a copycat society. And right. so what you think is working for the NBA or the NFL doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work for the, for MLB. No, correct. So you've that's what that kind of goes back to my point about being creative and being outside the box. All right, well that works for them. It doesn't necessarily work for us. What what's going to work for us? Let's try something they're not doing that maybe is better suited for our players, for our product, for our demographic, and so on and so forth, and try to try to promote it that way as opposed to trying and chasing something that you're never going to be. And you know, to be perfectly honest, mm-hmm. no, excellent point. And uh, a couple of quickies for me, Victor. Uh, first off, I go back to the Mets there. Now, of course, your dad was part of the coaching staff there in the late uh, 90s, early 2000s. Uh, my question to you is, uh, since you've had a connection with them, or at least your father did, but through with him, uh, just want to get your impression of them as a franchise from afar, uh, considering, now again, that's uh, two decades ago, so I'm sure there may not be much, but... Uh, me being a huge Met fan and you having that connection there many years ago, uh, what is your thoughts about this uh, franchise, not only today, but even moving forward, considering all the buzz that's been around them with the Wilpons trying to sell and uh, just everything that uh, seems to be a cloud over City Field uh, the last few years? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's always seems to be something <clears throat> going on there. Um, uh, look, we, we, we loved it there. My dad loved working for Bobby V, mm-hmm. uh, and the, and the teams that he was a part of were just incredible. I mean, great individuals, great team players, you know, from Olaru to Gardo Alfonso to Robin Ventura. I mean, just name them. Right? They were oh, yeah. just, just awesome dudes, you know? Um, and you rooted for those guys cause you, you know, John Franco, I mean, those your, your guys, oh, yeah. um, there was such a connection, um, you know, I, 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 there's so much talent, I think, on that team. Uh, I think you're starting to see it a little bit. Um, we'll see how, you know, it would have been interesting to see what Carlos Beltran bought, brought to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not obviously going to be the case. Uh, so, you know, it's a tough division. That's the beauty of it. It's kind of like the American League West, right? Because yeah. the Braves are not going anywhere. The Nationals are the Nationals. They are the world champions. Um, I still got a pretty decent nucle- nucleus there, even though Rendon's no longer there. Yeah. Um, and you freaking never know about the Marlins. They're just like this pesky little bunch who all of a sudden have a, an incredible farm system, right? Mm-hmm. So you just you just don't know. And I think and I think sometimes I think sometimes that competition brings out the best. I think that I think it's going to be good for the Mets because, you know, the cream rises to the top and I think it all becomes a leadership thing. All the stuff off the field, you can't worry about. It doesn't really, you know, we, we are affected by it, right? Because we're fans of the entire team, but players for the most part, unless it trickles into the clubhouse, they really don't care because it doesn't affect them. You know, if checks start bouncing, then they're going to get pissed. That'll affect them. (laughs) Then they'll have an opinion on what ownership is doing and what they're not doing. Yeah. But for the most part, guys in today's world are locked into to, to playing the game as hard as possible and winning every 
every game and they're not really worried about all the, uh, you know, all the stuff that goes out. And I know it's hard because you're in a microscope underneath the microscope in in New York and Boston and Chicago. I get it. Um, those are different animals when you're there, uh, especially in New York and you're battling the Yankees and this and that right. uh, for the back pages. So, um, you know, I, I, I think the, the Mets, I think Brody, I think I like Brody. Uh, as a general manager, I think I think he's going to be good. I think again, that's thinking outside the box. Did, sure. did I ever think an agent was going to become a general manager? No, but why not? If you think about it, you've got guys that have never had any baseball experience becoming assistant GMs and and kind of going up the rung and, and becoming a general manager later. So why not a guy who's already been in the industry and has seen it from one side and right. now he's on the other? I think. I think that makes you a better individual, especially from a professional standpoint. So, um, you know, if you can figure out the talent evaluation side of things and the signings and scouting and, and the like, or you put your trust in people that are capable of doing those and, and fill in the void for your deficiencies, then I think he's got a chance to succeed. All right. And lastly, the $64,000 question, uh, will we see baseball this year? And if so, when? I think we'll see it. Um, you know, I think, you know, the I think the romantic and everybody is, you know, July 4th is such a great date. I brought that up a couple of uh, weeks ago on our podcast, and mm. it just makes perfect sense. You know, uh, hot dogs, apple pie, uh, baseball, and Chevrolet. I mean, That's there was, right. that was a commercial back in the day. So I remember, yeah. Uh, it, it would make perfect sense for it to, to kind of be right there at that point. But I think uh, it's going to be different. Uh, even if they do it on July 4th, because you're not going to have that pomp and circumstance of everything that's going on on the field and the fireworks and the flyovers and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for people sitting at home, it'll be nice to to kind of just sit back and take their minds off of uh, things that have been going on for the last couple of months and will continue to go on for an extended period of time um, because of the unknown. And so I think if you can lose yourself for three hours, uh, I think that's the purpose that baseball serves, especially during the summer months. And so I, I, I'm I'm hopeful that that's the case. And I hope it'd be great if it happened in July. Oh, absolutely. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I can't imagine it not happening. But I'm also at that point too that it would not surprise me if it didn't happen. Hmm. You know, I, I can understand both sides and the argument on both sides, um, especially from the health issue. You know, I, I, and I would not be surprised if there's major stars that decide not to play that it's just not that important to them meaning from a from a health perspective right they want to get back to playing but they don't feel comfortable at this point and you really can't blame them you really can't no i totally agree and uh, well victor we'll keep our fingers crossed Uh, thank you so much for a few minutes here today uh good luck to you and your family of course uh, throughout this crisis and hopefully we'll get uh see the light in the tunnel there and uh also Uh, Good luck to the Angels and good luck to uh, broadcasting in 2020 if we do so happen to get there. Thanks, Jason. I appreciate it, bud. All right, many thanks to Victor Rojas for contributing and being a part of this podcast. Uh, It was certainly a good conversation. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Very down to earth, very personable, certainly very engaging at the same time. So let's see for his case and for his sake, that baseball does resume. And let's just get right to it, people. I'm not going to repeat pretty much the same things I've said over the last few weeks. I'm going to cut to the chase in a moment. But I do want to say that with the way things are going right now, it looks like we're not going to have a baseball season. It is going to be a Hail Mary and a half for the owners and the players to get on board of some plan in order for there to be games, whether it be the 1st of July mid-July, or even August. And some of the things that have come down the pike over the last 24 hours is the players have come up with an idea where they want to extend the schedule just so they could get paid. So they want to have anywhere between 100 to, I believe, 120-game regular season and, of course, the postseason. And the reason why the owners didn't come up with that is because they fear of the second wave of the coronavirus coming at some point, whether it be in mid to late October or even into November, And if you have a schedule that's going to start, let's say, July 4th, and it's going to run through the regular season, I might add, to the end of November to try to squeeze in the 100 to 120 games, whatever it may be, and then go through the rounds of playoffs, which remember, they've expanded the list of teams to seven in each league. Now, who knows what the structure is going to be or if there is going to be 
a realignment of sorts where they're going to have the three divisions, whether it's the East, Central, and West, 10, divi- 10 teams in each division. All that has been brought upon a couple of weeks ago, but it certainly hasn't been agreed. Or are they going to realign to the point where for this year, they want to make sure that these teams get these games in whatever region that they're going to be playing in and break it down from there as to how many teams are going to make the postseason and how this is all going to come to play, whether it be in mid-October or even early November, who knows. But baseball has to figure out whether or not, and particularly the owners, they're going to have to figure out whether or not they can make this thing work. You look at Max Scherzer just yesterday, came out with his comments saying that there's no way, we've already taken a pay cut, this is not going to happen again. Now, he's part of this subcommittee with eight other prominent Major League Baseball players, and they've said across the board, "Uh uh-uh, there is no way that they're going to get back on the field for anything less than what they deserve. So even if you're Mike Trout, and I'm just going to use him, for instance, considering we just finished talking to the broadcast of the Angels, he was scheduled to make... $37 $37 million, $37,666,000, whatever it was. And if you cut that in half, so if there were to be an 82-game schedule, he wants his $18 million. But the thing is, is that with the way this recent structure, or restructure if you want to call it, of the pay scale where the top players are going to be affected the most and they're going to take the most severe hit, where 70% of that is going to be cut off the top where Mike Trout, his salary for this coming season, if there is going to be a season over 82 games, is going to be a little bit north of $5 million. Now, I can understand why he would be upset considering you're going from 36 to possibly 18 to 19 and then to 5. Now, nobody's going to cry Mike Trout a river when it comes to him making $5 million and we know what's going on with unemployment in this country. But at the same time, as big of a hit that is, and we understand for the guy that makes that kind of money, the 25th man or the 12th reliever or the 4th outfielder is going to make a fraction of what Trout makes. So he's not going to get penalized as much when it comes to his full salary for this upcoming season. But the thing is, and here's the quick solution if you ask me. We understand that fans aren't going to be a part this year, and who knows what's going to happen going into next year. And we know that baseball's revenue is generated 40% of the game experience, which includes the parking, the concessions, merchandising, the suites. Go down the list. And with the fans not being a part of it this year, not being able to generate that revenue, and I'm sure the players understand that. But at the same time, What they haven't figured out is that what's going to be the end game at the end of the day when fans do come back and chances are it's not going to be this year, will they be able to recoup some of that money? That hasn't been brought to anybody's attention and that was something that I thought about where over the next few years, let's say from 21 through 23, whatever was lost during that time should be recouped to the players over the next three years. Now, Who knows if it's going to be deferred? Who knows if it's going to be all in one shot? Because let's look at it this way. If there are going to be fans in the stands starting opening day of next year, and let's say, fingers crossed, that we go through a whole season where they get their 81 games, home games in, and all 162 games are being played, whatever can be recouped on the back end of that then should go right to the players. And if for whatever the reason they can't fulfill throughout the course of that whole year, let's just say maybe fans don't come back until Memorial Day of next year or whatever it is. And obviously there needs to be a guideline or a stipulation in that contract to state that this is only where it includes fans. They can't say between 21 and 23 they'll get the money back, but they have to. there has to be fans in the stadium. There's no way that this could work if they're not a part of this. So now if you're the owners, you know that the players, they're not going to budge an inch. And for everybody who wants to cry that, oh, they're billionaire owners, and I'm not on the owner's side by any stretch. I just want to get baseball back. But you would think the owners should look at this and say, from 
21 to 23 over these next three years, if you are under contract and on the team for 2020, even if that person gets traded or if they get released and they're not even back in baseball, but they can recoup that money as long as they were on the roster to the end of the season, if the season is going to be played, then they're owed whatever money that they didn't receive, they'll get their money over the course of those three years. I only say three years because the unpredictability of this thing, we don't know whether or not this coronavirus is going to be gone or fans are going to be back in attendance starting late March or early April of 2021 and beyond. Who knows that? There's nobody right now on God's green earth that could predict that. So that's why I figure if you want to maybe stretch it over two years, okay, stretch it over two years. And the owners, they need to realize that they could go ahead and do that for their players to say, we need some time. We want to make sure that you get paid your full salary. We're not able to do it this year. But over time, and hopefully with the virus either gone away or there is some sort of, I hate to say, vaccine or any type of medication or drug that could knock this thing out, I won't be able to honor your contract for 2020 or the money that was owed until we get fans back and until we know 100% for sure that the money that's going to be generated going into next year and the year after that and hopefully by 2023 that we could be able to fulfill whatever you lost and you could recoup at that end. Why can't they do that? Is that impossible? Is that a thing where the owners haven't looked at and said, hey, this is what we could bring to the table and hopefully the players can accept that? Now, I don't know if the owners are willing to do that. They're just going to cry wolf about 2020 and they have a right. And we understand that these guys, billionaires, and they have all this money and so on and so forth. Well, you know, it's not like they have $2 billion in some bank account or a Swiss account somewhere where they could just go ahead and withdraw money and pay the players that way. Remember, these guys are worth that much money, but at the same time, it's all tied into the team. It's not as if they have $2 billion laying around. That's what their worth is. Just because that's what they're worth doesn't mean that's what they have in the bank. Please, how many times have you heard, and let's just put it from the athlete standpoint because you rarely hear this about the owners, but how many times that you've seen athletes who are worth millions and millions and millions of dollars, I'm not talking about worth $5 million, $10 million, guys that have made $100 million in a career, $200, $300 million. What about Mike Tyson when it was worth $300 million and how he just pissed it all away? Now, granted, he didn't have the right people around him. We get all that, but the bottom line is this. Just because somebody is worth that, doesn't mean they have every red cent or every penny in that bank account to cover what they're worth. So it's easy for people to say, ah, well, it's the owners, they got all these billions, so on and so forth. Well, it's not as if they have it under a mattress or in a safe in their deluxe mansion somewhere in Arizona or in LA or in Colorado or in New York. But the bottom line here is that if the owners were to come out and say that they would be able to recoup once baseball gets back to 100% normalcy where there's fans in the stands and whether they want to say one year or maybe two years or three years. I would say between one to three years. Give them a window. Because you got the likes of the Pittsburgh Pirates. Now the Padres, They although they've tried to make themselves out to be a bigger market over the last couple of years by signing Eric Hosmer and also Manny Machado, but they've played themselves more as a small market. But we know the teams, the Cincinnati Reds of the world, the Kansas City Royals of the world, all these teams that have the smaller payrolls that although they may be able to pay their players a lot quicker, but at the same time, they don't generate the revenue or attract the fans that they do in New York, LA, Chicago, Boston, etc. So that's all they need to do. And people could say, well, j Reels, if it's as simple as that one, to do it. Well, have, has anybody heard them even bringing that idea to the table? I think if that idea was even brought to the table, the players would probably say, all right, great. Where do we sign? Knowing that we're going to get our money at some point between now and the end of 2023. And in that deal, by the end of the 2023 season, whether you want to look at the end of the regular season or just the end of the postseason, whenever the last World Series game is being played in 2023, that the last check has to be direct deposited in that player's account by then if it hasn't been done so already. And how difficult is that? You see that with businesses. Businesses do that all the time during a recession where they have to go ahead and cut people's salaries by 10% across the board or 
the owners, the CEOs, whatever, they got to take a bigger chunk. And then what they'll do is they'll, hey, over time, maybe by the end of the year, if we business gets back to the numbers of where we think they should be or even better, we'll be sure to pay you by the end of this year. Or if not, it may go into next year or whatever it is. Why can't baseball do that? So we shall see. And one last thing before I go, and this is another thing which certainly does not bode well for baseball coming back. I listened to an interview with Mark Reynolds the other day, the former major leaguer, predominantly was Arizona Diamondback. He was also in Colorado, played in Baltimore, also with the Yankees for a cup of coffee. He came out and said the other day that Tony Clark, who is the head of the players, as far as the union is concerned, he came out and said that do not trust the owners. Give them an inch, they want to take 20 miles. He says, there's no way that you deserve anything less than what you've signed your name on that contract. So when I heard that, and this is a guy who was just recently removed from the game. You know, it's not as if he retired back in 2006 or 2012. I believe 2018 was his last year in baseball because I don't know if he even played last year. So this comes from somebody who has been around the game for quite a, minute, for quite a few years, hit almost 400 home runs in his career. You know, he's in some 23rd or 24th guy in a roster. And the portrait that he paints here, as far as the owners and the players, based on his experience in Major League Baseball, this is going to be not only a fight to the end, but who knows if it even gets to an end. And I don't know if baseball is going to come back at all. I know Victor tried to be optimistic about it. And even he had a little bit of reservations toward the end of that interview, if you heard. But I tell you, if there is no baseball season this year because of what's going on right now, who knows if baseball will ever get out of the wilderness, as I said a few days ago. It'll be a sport that will be long forgotten. And then the sad part is, to close out, the sad part is that even though the NBA and NHL got mostly paid throughout their regular seasons, because as we all know, they were down to their last 15 to 20 games, respectively, roughly in both leagues. But these guys want to play. These guys have come out and said, no, we want to finish our seasons. We want to get a champion. Even Damian Lillard, which I said on the podcast the other day, he didn't want to come back. But if there's going to be a situation where there's going to be a play-in tournament, similar to what the NHL is doing now with this 24-team playoff format, and if the NBA is going to incorporate that, because Portland, I believe, is like three games out of a final playoff spot in the West for the eighth seed, then he's all in. Even he's saying that. Has anybody in baseball, one person come out and said, yes, I know this is bad, this is tough, but you know what, I want to play. I want to get back on the field. I want to play the game that I love. And I understand I got to stick to my guns with my fellow brethren here as far as Major League Baseball players are concerned, but at the same time, I'm itching to get back. You haven't heard one peep from anybody saying that. And I understand that if somebody does say that, then it's almost as if you're crossing the line with the players and you're saying, oh, so you mean to tell me you either play then not you know not get your full contract of what you're owed for this year? I get that. But at the same time, you're not hearing a peep from the baseball player. We shall continue to stay tuned and keep abreast of what's going on here as I'll see you guys on Monday where it'll be a new day, a new week, and a new month, June the 1st. But between now and then, everybody, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you get your podcast, where you listen on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, etc. Also, on the website at www.jreels.com, I'm tweaking a few things there, as I mentioned a couple days ago. Uh, some photos I want to post up there, and also an article that was posted online from this particular website about my journey through my broadcasting life, especially now with the podcast, so I'm going to put that up there. Of course, when you do subscribe, rate, and review, it's going to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, and in turn, it will generate interest among the likes of people who I'm trying to get on this podcast so they know who Jay Reels is, whether it's a guy like Victor Rojas, who's a broadcaster, or a former or current athlete, a writer, blogger, whomever it may be. So please, continue to do so. Tell your friends. Spread the word. I'm sure somebody out there knows somebody who loves sports, likes sports, is a casual sports fan, diehard, etc. So if you could go ahead and forward this podcast to them and have them subscribe, rate, and review, I'd greatly appreciate it. Also, you want to hit me up with any questions, comments, criticism, or praise? 
And speaking of questions, I need some more people because next week at this time, I'm hoping to put up my Ask Me Anything podcast and that goes across the board. So whether that's sports, whether that's how did I get into this podcast, which I think I detailed very a long time ago back in my 00 Maiden Voyage, my very first podcast out here. This was March of 2018. Life, nutrition, health, fitness, music, movies, what kind of food I like. Whatever it is, please send those questions along on any of my social media platforms, whether it's on Instagram at JReels or the JReels Podcast, my Facebook fan page, which is the JReels Podcast, on Twitter, JReels1, just a number, and the old-fashioned way by email at the Podcast at gmail.com. Because as everybody knows, I love to talk about sports. This is my life. I love it since day one. And for those who have listened to me for the very first time, I hope you come back. And for those who have been with me, I'm sure you know the deal. So whether that means everything that's happening on the world of the diamond, the ice, the gridiron, the hardwood, the golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it, from my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, directed, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels podcast, on the flip it.